China 21 is produced by the 21st Century China Center at UC San Diego School of Global Policy and Strategy. We are a university-based think tank that produces original research to anchor major policy discussions on China and its relationship to the United States. This podcast features expert voices, insights, and stories about Chinese economy, politics, society, and the implications for international affairs. Learn more at china.ucsd.edu. Welcome to China 21. I'm your host, Samuel Choi. China was once known as a land of bicycles and more recently recognized for mass transit infrastructure that helps the billion plus people move around. It's now also the biggest auto market, including electric vehicles. Here to talk about these trends today is Michael Dunn, an entrepreneur and expert on the future of cars and the automotive industry in Asia. Welcome, Mike. Hey, great to be with you today, Sam. Mike is the author of the book titled American Wheels, Chinese Roads, and is a commentator on major outlets such as The Wall Street Journal, New York Times, and Forbes. He's originally from the Motor City and a graduate of the University of Michigan, where he received an MBA and a master's in Chinese history. He started a company in China and worked across Asia in the last two decades, and has recently returned to the States, back driving on the roads here in Southern California. Mike, you still travel to China quite a bit, and you recently went to visit BYD in Shenzhen. For listeners who haven't heard of the brand BYD, uh, it stands for Build Your Dreams, which in my mind is a very emblematic um, of the Chinese middle class ethos today. Um, BYD is already the biggest producer of electric vehicles in the world. Can you talk about what you saw uh, there in Shenzhen and give us a sketch of China's electric vehicle market, uh, especially as it compares to the United States? Right. BYD is a great symbol of where China hopes to go in the future. It started out as a manufacturer of batteries for cell phones 25 years ago. Today, it's the largest uh, electric vehicle maker in China. And they also have an office in Los Angeles, a plant in Lancaster, California, and they're building premium electric vehicles right here in California. Who would have imagined such a thing? Yeah. So we'll actually get into that a little bit later about just what the Chinese companies are doing in mm-hmm. California. But before we get into the future, maybe you can take us back a little bit about how China has evolved in the last couple of decades in regards to the automotive industry. And um, you actually wrote a book called uh, American Wheels, Chinese Roads, which uh, traced the story of the success of General Motors um, and its partnership with uh, a Chinese um, state-owned enterprise. And um, can you give us a sense of how that story that you, you it's in your book captures the evolution of uh, China's automotive industry? Right. Let's go back to the beginning, 1980s, 1980. Deng Xiaoping goes o- abroad. He goes to Japan. He goes to the United States. He sees wealthy countries, and he sees big car industries. Ah, there's a connection there. Big car industry exports wealth. We want that. He comes mm-hmm. back to China and instructs his guys We, too, want to have a car to call call our own. We want to build them here. We want to be an export power. We want to be the biggest and the best in the world. That's his vision back in 80. Well, Mm -hmm. what did it look like in China in those days? My first trip to China in 1986, they had practically nothing in terms of building car capability. Uh, I got off at the airport, was met by a car. I still remember it like it was yesterday. It was called a Shanghai sedan. They're Mm -hmm. not around anymore. You won't see them, but it was a pale blue big oversized car based on something from the 1950s in Russia. Uh, Three on the trees, uh, transmission, big steering wheel, white gloves, bench seats, 
And that was it. They built the Shanghai sedan, and they also built small numbers of something called the red flag sedan, and mm -hmm. mostly for government officials. We had one at the university I taught at, and that was it. Huh. So Deng Xiaoping told his lieutenants, hey, we need to get our game together. And the way we're going to do this is we're going to joint venture with global automakers. Through those joint ventures, we'll learn how to make cars, and pretty soon we'll be off and running and building our own. Hmm. Thanks. Um, so as you, you traced back to the beginning, uh, even today, the state still play a pretty big role in driving innovation, um, and directing how the industry would go. Can you tell us a little bit more about what the Chinese government is doing now in regards to the technology, especially around electric vehicles? Yes, so there's, um, the history has probably three phases to it. So mm -hmm. in the 80s and 90s, it was very much, how do we get the technology? How do we get the technology? And the global automakers were understandably reluctant to share their technology. So they would ship the parts to China yeah. with the joint venture partners like Shanghai Auto and Beijing Auto. They put the cars together and they sell them Buicks and Volkswagens and Beijing Jeeps Guangzhou Peugeots to, to government officials and some private buyers. Very much the leverage was with the foreign automaker. Mm -hmm. 2000s, China says, hey, this hasn't worked very well. Let's open up and let everybody come in so that we have a lot of competition and a lot of foreign automakers come in. And they began to get leverage by having partnerships with more than one global automaker. Take, for example, Shanghai Auto Industry Corporation. They're partners today with General Motors and Volkswagen, both. Hmm. So when it comes to negotiating which product to build or where to invest, they can say to GM, well, you've been good partners, but Volkswagen's better to us. We're going to put our money with them. Hmm. So GM, uh, China's government started to sense, hey, we have a market here, mm -hmm. and the global automakers need that market, and we have some leverage. Mm -hmm. Still, though, by the end of the 2000s, they weren't building many of their own China wasn't building many of its own cars. It was still building largely, the majority were, and if you go there today, mm -hmm. you'll see mostly foreign nameplates. Mm -hmm. So around 2010, they said, hang on, time out. We've got a great industry here, uh, big, bigger than the US by 2010, but most of the cars are foreign plates. How do we get a call, cars to call our own? And they said, forever we've been trying to get the technology from the foreign companies, that hasn't worked very well. Let's set our sights on a new technology where we can actually be the leaders. This is the state, Beijing policymakers, and they identified electric vehicle technology as that path toward independence and, in, and, and strength. Mm -hmm. So starting in 2010, they set very ambitious targets to be world leaders in electric vehicles, and lo and behold, by 2016, end of last year, they became number one. More than 500,000 electric vehicles sold, and 90% of those built by Chinese car companies, not by the globals. Hmm. Yeah, it's interesting because when you said in the very beginning, a lot of the cars were sold to uh, the government officials, essentially there weren't a lot of private consumers that were actually demanding. But no, as for today, hmm. now it's the biggest market, um, especially in electric vehicles. So as the Chinese middle class continue to grow, as the market continue to, to really respond to these consumer preferences and habits, how will the market forces now kind of drive the future? It's a great question, because the Chinese individual buyers, who are now mm -hmm. the majority, they buy largely for Im image. They love to show off that they've got wealth and they've got a terrific car to drive around. Mm -hmm.
here comes electric cars and the government goes, time for you guys to buy electric cars. Well, individuals today still in China say, mm, electric cars, I'm not so sure, the range, I don't, where am I going to charge it? Can mm -hmm. I sell it again to somebody? So today, it's largely a case of government instructing state enterprises or taxi fleets to buy electric cars. That's where the demand comes from. The next challenge will be how do we persuade more and more individuals to buy electrics too. I see. And so um, can you actually tell us a little bit more about the companies that have now become household brands within China and whether they're competing in the consumer's mind uh, in terms of their loyalty to the brand? Because I know a lot of Chinese buyers still mm -hmm. prefer foreign brands mm -hmm. because of their prestige and you know showing off, as you said. Um, so can you tell us a bit about BYD, Great Wall, Geely, kind of these kind of brands mm -hmm. as, as uh, compared with the Volkswagen and, and Buicks? You, you just named the big three, uh, private, uh, Geely, BYD, and Great Wall. Uh, those are the three most successful private Chinese enterprises. And they have really closed the gap significantly in quality mm -hmm. between themselves and the global automakers. Uh, so much so that we've seen lot in the last two years that Chinese share of the market is increasing pretty dramatically. And if we project out to 2020, we'll see Chinese brands surpass foreign brands in the market for the first time. Hmm. Uh, that's because Chinese consumers, hey, these Chinese brands are making actually good quality, mm -hmm. good enough quality at a good price. I'll take it. And that's a trend to watch, especially for the foreign automakers who haven't seen this competition before. The, yeah. they're, they're a little bit concerned. Yeah. And some of these companies are also investing in the U.S. Um, you showed me a map um, where there's a lot of companies are investing in technology here, even just in the West Coast here and the western part of the, the country. There's uh, you know, acquisitions of U.S. Uh, technology firms. And, and so can you tell us about how uh, essentially, you know, Americans are already driving cars that are partly made in China, mm -hmm. but when will they be driving cars that are completely made in China? Totally made in China. Well, already uh, many, many people, many Americans aren't aware that when they go into a Buick showroom today and they look at a small SUV called the Envision, that one is made in China. Hmm. Um, people who go to, into a Volvo showroom today and look at the S60 sedan, guess what? That's made in China too. Yeah. What does this tell us? That China is capable of building world-class quality. Otherwise, they wouldn't ship those cars to, yeah. to the U.S. Now, that's still global brands. Sure. What about the Chinese brands? Uh, what we're seeing is a little bit of different approach from how the Japanese and Koreans came in. Mm -hmm. In their case, they built very low-cost cars and took market share at the low end of the market. Mm -hmm. In China's case, what we're seeing in California is that tech companies are coming in and building premium electric cars, totally contrary to one's expectations. Oh yeah, Chinese manufacturing must be low cost. They'll come in with a $10,000 car. No, mm -hmm. uh, companies like uh, Next EV, Faraday Future, uh, Lucid Motors uh, are coming in and building $100,000 and up premium electric vehicles, some with autonomous capabilities. Mm. So what's going on there? The internet companies are seeing the future and saying, the car of the future is a highly sophisticated iPad on wheels. Mm -hmm. Let's go there and build that first and then we can mm -hmm. we can make cheaper versions of it in the future. So yeah. your book that you published in 2011 is titled American Wheels Chinese Roads. 
So when will we maybe see a sequel to your book <laughs> that we can maybe swap the title to Chinese Wheels, American Roads? It's in process. The book is being written because reality is already there. Uh, investment by the Chinese internet companies in California is significant in the billions of dollars. Mm -hmm. In addition to that, there's been billions of dollars of investment in the Midwest states, Michigan, Ohio, Indiana, mm -hmm. buying suppliers or building transplants here in the United States. Mm -hmm. One more dimension, there's also significant investment in R&D facilities around the country in universities like Michigan, mm -hmm. Stanford, MIT. So mm -hmm. in a sense, the only part of the equation that's not here yet is a Chinese branded car on the road. Because mm -hmm. the suppliers are here, the R&D is here, yeah. it's only a matter of time before we start seeing Chinese brands here too. Yeah. So you mentioned that there's investment now also in autonomous vehicles, mm -hmm. and some of these vehicles are already capable. Um, so can you tell us about how um, that will uh, play into U.S.-China either collaboration or mm. com competition? Right. For the first time, you know, if we go back to the original plan Deng Xiaoping laid out, we're going to do joint ventures with the global automakers. That never really materialized in terms of a genuine tech transfer to the Chinese companies. Mm -hmm. So now we see the very clever internet tech companies saying, we're going to bypass that whole tech transfer thing. We'll go directly to California, we'll hire people from Tesla, Apple, and Google, and we'll get the best technology in the world direct. Mm -hmm. And we'll in instantly be competitive with the very best automakers in the world. Well, that's great news for Chinese car companies, but for American companies, they say, well, hang on a second. How come it's so easy for Chinese investors to come here and secure what they want and have full access to our market, whereas in China, uh, foreign companies are still obligated to form joint venture partnerships mm -hmm. with a local company, mm -hmm. and the foreign company can never have more than 50% ownership. So there's a mm -hmm. disconnect there, yeah. and foreign co U.S. companies would say, Terrific. Welcome here to the U.S. market. We just like to have the same terms in China. Mm -hmm. And so when one of the technology companies that are now kind of global um, household name is Uber. Yes. And can you tell us about kind of their um, um, journey in China? And can you just tell us how, how that story unfolded mm -hmm. in the last couple of years in informing both, um, to your point about reciprocity mm -hmm. and also um, does it tell us anything about what the Chinese consumers are telling the market in, in terms of um, their uh, demand for ride-sharing and other kind of technology-driven uh, trends of um, the auto industry? Yes. Uh, first of all, let's begin with Uber. Uber was just an unstoppable force in the United States, certainly, and it mm -hmm. looked like globally, mm -hmm. and had set very high targets for actually dominating the Chinese market as well, and it entered uh, in 2014, and the CEO took a uh, position of this is really a high priority for the company, and we're going to spend what we need to to, to win here. Mm -hmm. And uh, it was not long before Uber started to lose a billion dollars a year just to stay stay running their operation in China. And then quite abruptly last summer, in the middle of last summer, Uber basically abd uh, surrendered and said, you know what, competition here is much tougher than we thought. We have a foe, an adversary here called Didi Chuxing. Mm -hmm. They're amazing. And our best bet is to step back from the market, take a minority position in Didi, and uh, recognize that Didi is, is the leader here. 
and we'll focus instead on the United States and other markets in the world. Mm -hmm. So that was a huge shock in a way because no one had seen Uber lose before. Mm -hmm. And it was a reminder that Chinese companies themselves have tremendous capabilities and leverages in mm -hmm. their own market. The state didn't play a role or at least elite politics? Were That's a great involved. question. Um, not visible role, but um, certainly there, there's no story in China that unfolds without connections mm -hmm. all the way to the top, mm -hmm. especially for such an important industry mm -hmm. as um, ride sharing. Yeah. And what about the other trends like um, urban planning? Um, and China's great at planning mm -hmm. um, 5, 10, 15 years on um, in infrastructure and just the demand for mass transit as it relates to kind of the, the middle class consumer who wants a vehicle. Um, but just the general day to day aspect of the amount of cars are now on the road already. Yes. Yes. And the future, even if you have all the fleet transferred to electric vehicle, that's still a lot of cars. And you might help, you know, air quality a bit, but there's still congestion and all these other factors. Um, so can you tell us about how the Chinese state and um, business and entrepreneurs coordinate those uh, aspects? Right. Uh, China, the state at the end of last year came out with very ambitious targets for how many electric vehicles or what they call new energy vehicles that's electrics or hybrids or hydrogen you take your pick mm -hmm. uh, by 2030 the state says we want 40 percent of production to be new energy vehicles that's a really dramatic growth from about one percent today mm -hmm. so up to 40 percent the second thing they said is that we want 10 percent of our cars to be totally autonomous by 2030. Mm -hmm. That means you, th there's no steering wheel, there's no pedals, you just get in a car and you tell it where to go and it goes. <clears throat> um, then thirdly, with regards to electric vehicles, they already are world leader and they're doing everything they can not only to have the most sales in electric vehicles but also to control it in terms of Chinese companies controlling that. So, mm -hmm. so they're embracing all these revolutions across ride sharing, autonomous and electrics, mm -hmm. and they seem to want to have Chinese companies be in charge of that. Mm -hmm. uh, to your question about congestion, you know, many of my Chinese friends love the fact that they have a car, but they can't stand the congestion in the, in the daily commute. So look, uh, increasingly look for them to opt for ride sharing mm -hmm. uh, options too, but there's no strong centralized plan for ride sharing to eliminate today's congestion. Mm. Not yet. And what about the pressure from both countries to um, reduce greenhouse gases? Like, is there a um, coordination with all the industries in both countries to respond to that um, need? In some ways, China looks much more switched on in this regard, at least today, mm -hmm. uh, because they do a lead in electrics. Meanwhile, in the United States, we have by far the most affordable gas prices in the world, mm -hmm. and we love our big trucks and SUVs, and we're not showing any signs as a consuming nation of changing those attitudes, and the administration doesn't either. So in a sense, China could surprise us by taking the lead in electrics, autonomous, and ride-sharing systems uh, while we're still driving our big pickups. Yeah, and just one more thought uh, before we conclude is, you mentioned um, just, I think by 2020, they want to convert, I think 30%, you said, of the cars to be autonomous. But how does that transition happen? Like, is that mm. going to be zeroed in on a particular city when they experiment uh, these type of things? Um, just like how they experiment with the uh, special economic zones, mm. are they uh, doing any experiments in particular regions? 
and how, how, how are they um, also collaborating with their uh, U.S. counterparts? Uh, in, in terms of technology investment, you talked about like, you know, investment in Silicon Valley, tech companies. Yes. Uh, you know, from the outside, China often appears to be, a, can appear to be a monolith with the state in charge. Mm -hmm. But when you get down to the grassroots, it's a lot of activity that's individual in nature. So the car companies, the companies who are investing today in California, they're not talking to each other. They're competing with each other as much as they're here together. Mm -hmm. um, back in China, it's very much a city-driven thing. The, the advances will be city-driven. So already a city called Wuhu, where Cherry is based, another Chinese automaker, mm -hmm. they have goals to be totally autonomous by 2025. Oh. So we'll see it in pockets in different cities, not nationally in one fell swoop. Interesting. Well, thank you so much, Mike, for coming in today. It's fascinating um, to really enjoy this ride of understanding a little bit about the past, but there's so much, so much uh, open uh, possibilities in the future. That's right. In particular, China is already 50% bigger than the United States as a car market at home. And the big push in the next 10 years will be Chinese car, car companies coming globally, including yeah. the United States. So you can bet we'll, we're going to be seeing more Chinese cars on U.S. roads soon. Yeah, we'll, we'll definitely be following uh, your commentary and analysis going forward. Thank you so much, Mike. Thank you. Thank you for listening to China 21, the podcast of the 21st Century China Center at UC San Diego School of Global Policy and Strategy. Please subscribe to your favorite podcast app and connect with us on social media. Thank you.